Good morning and welcome to Monday in Manhattan. This is our weekly broadcast from City Administration to keep you in the loop. You can find out more about local government at the city's website, cityofmhk.com. Welcome. Good morning. Um, today is February 22nd, 2021, and it's finally time to get back to a few normal things here at the city. Um, we have in the past done these kind of Monday in Manhattan broadcasts to, to give you updates every week um, about what's going on at the city, and we're able to get back to those again. Um, so the topics and the speakers are going to change week to week. Um, we're going to aim for around this time every Monday, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 1030 on Facebook Live. Today we had to do a recording because of some technical difficulties, but next week hopefully we'll be back to doing live. Um, and uh, the basic idea is just to keep you informed about what's going on at the city. Um, I'm also going to grab the audio from these recordings and upload them as a podcast if you prefer to uh, listen and get your information that way. Um, the podcast will be available on any of the platforms where you get your podcast. If you have questions, please feel free to go ahead and leave those in the comments. Since we had to record, we won't be able to answer those live today, but I'll go back and answer you um, just via text in the comments if you have any questions that come up. So um, I guess we'll start with introductions, especially since we haven't done this in a while. Um, Ron and Jason, um, if you would please share your, your name, your title. I'd also like to maybe share how many years you've, you've been with this city. And if you could explain a little bit about what your role means um, for those who, who may not be familiar with you. Ron, if you, um, if you wanna take the lead, please go ahead. Sure, thank you, Vivian. Good morning, everyone. Pleasure to be with you, everyone. My name is Ron Fear. I'm the city manager for the city of Manhattan. I've uh, been with the city about 39 years, and last 20 of those as city manager. Uh, as city manager, I'm kind of the chief executive officer of the organization, and uh, primarily work directly with the commissioners on the policy, but uh, oversee the operations of the city and have a lot of good help from uh, Jason and, and other city administrators, uh, uh, administration personnel, as well as department heads. Great, thank you very much. Jason, tell us a little bit about you. Thank you, Vivian. Jason Hilger is Deputy City Manager. Uh, started with the city in 1999, so a little over 20 years. Um, primarily now as a Deputy City Manager, uh, oversee the eight departments of the city um, and, and work with the department heads and obviously their entire organization on meeting the objectives and goals of the organization. Um, so it, it's, it's a cross between a lot of um, personnel and operational issues, budgeting issues, as well as uh, any type of special initiatives and projects that um, rise to the, the top of the list for the commission, the community. Work with the chamber and the university a lot too, and focus uh, a lot on economic development as well. A lot of institutional knowledge between the two of you. I know anytime I ask you a question, you can you can kind of give me years of history on it. So that's 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 why we've kind of tagged you with joining these broadcasts. You can share some of that with the public. Um, my name is Vivian Uccello. I'm the public information officer for the city, and I am I'm working on my fourth year here. Um, and it's kind of uh, my job to to communicate with the public. Um, I've done a lot this past year with crisis communication since we've 
we've been in, in crisis mode for about a year. Um, and so I'm the person who kind of writes news releases and tries to keep the website up to date and does the social media. Um, so, so that's kind of my role for the city. Um, today, since we are going to be talking about um, really just starting the budget process for the city at a tomorrow's city commission meeting, um, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about that. Um, staff from the finance department will be presenting information about the 2020 revenue um, and as we prepare to start work on the 2021 budget, this is, this is where we begin the discussion and it takes, takes several months to work through this process. First, um, if you could share a little bit about, uh, maybe walk us through how the city approaches the budgeting process because we do it um, a little bit differently here. Sure, thanks Vivian, I'll, I'll start out. Um, you know, this is, uh, so tomorrow evening, as Vivian said, we'll be, uh, giving an update to the city commission on you know where we ended 2020 and and we're focusing a little bit more on this past year because it wasn't it was anything but normal uh, and so we want to remind the commissioners kind of where we've been where we uh, had expected to be not uh, including the pandemic and then kind of how uh, those experiences are influencing the rest of this year as well as uh, developing the budget for 2022 and so uh, our approach uh, to the budget is one where uh, the, the budget's a significant policy document of the governing body. So uh, it is the uh, major policy document that the city commission approves with the expenditure and determining where uh, they want as elected officials to focus uh, our energies and our priorities from a spending uh, and budgetary standpoint. So it, it is the most significant and it takes some time to do that. And so as we go along in this process, uh, we'll start at the staff level uh, in developing our operational budgets as well as our uh, capital improvements program. Uh, and then we'll ask for input from our various advisory boards and from citizens primarily into the capital improvements program, but uh, other aspects. And then as we, uh, uh, Around the May timeframe, we typically have one of our first uh, uh, public sessions with the commission relative to uh, the proposed budget for 2022. We, our budget is on a calendar year, so uh, we operate uh, January to December. Uh, we are uh, required, however, by the state to uh, uh, basically publish that budget uh, for adoption uh, in August, uh, which leaves a lot of time. You know, there's only about a little over half a year where we can actually have actual revenues uh, that, uh, and then have to make some estimates uh, for the rest of the year. And sometimes that can be uh, a real challenge. So uh, there's actually some, some legislation in the Kansas legislature to move that data up even sooner, uh, which will make it even more challenging. And so we're following that one of the versions of that has that happening this year. One of them has it happening next year. So there's a lot of uh, uh, different aspects of that and certainly uh, uh, many, many different uh, tangents uh, with regard to that. But primarily one of the things we really wanna focus on is one of the things that uh, obviously the pandemic influenced uh, our revenue streams a lot last year. And uh, we anticipate that certainly in some areas that will continue to be the case. Uh, this year, which will influence uh, the 22 budget as well. So at this session, um, finance is gonna take, take us through kind of just exactly what those budget shortfalls were 
for 2020 and how that picture ended up so we can understand how to move forward with that. You, we were faced with some difficult choices last year. Um, you mentioned, you know, having to kind of anticipate or estimate budget revenue for the rest of the year and make some decisions along the way. How did those decisions turn out? Like, was the, was the picture what you expected it to be? Well, I'll make a brief comment. I know Jason's got a lot he can offer on this because he managed uh, the bulk of it. But, uh, you know, when it first hit, we didn't really know what to anticipate, but we knew uh, based on some of the patterns we'd seen in other areas from uh, shutdowns that uh, we anticipated our sales tax revenue uh, might be heavily impacted. Uh, there were other sources of revenue that we also thought would be down significantly. And so uh, we made some early decisions, uh, not only from a health perspective uh, in some of our program offerings, but we had an opportunity to determine whether we were going to go no-go on a lot of our uh, recreational programs, which were, which uh, many of which uh, are, are heavily subsidized as it is. And so we anticipated there would be significant savings there. Uh, we also did a hiring freeze and I'll let Jason expand on, on some of those aspects. So we tried to take some early measures to reduce spending, uh, but also uh, uh, take measures to uh, create for savings within the organizations as well. 2020, we had a, you know, a first quarter that was fairly normal. So we started the first three months, obviously with COVID not really impacting until late March um, with, with a decent base, but we also knew we didn't have a whole lot of time to react in the event our revenues did decline. Fortunately for 2020, sales tax dipped about two and a half, 2.6%, uh, which was several hundred thousand dollars, you know, in the overall scheme of things, but it was something um, we could absorb um, basically by reducing services. Ron mentioned the hiring, uh, the hiring freeze, which really, as people left, we didn't hire people back. Uh, we also uh, didn't offer a lot of our programs that typically generate revenue. So it's, it's, it is difficult. It's complex. We have over 100 different revenue streams. A lot of folks will go down the path of property tax thinking property tax funds, you know, the city. 90% uh, of your property tax go to other entities, not the city. So it's about 11% that comes to the city. And I never miss an opportunity to remind people of that um, because this, the school district, the county, and RCPD are really the bulk of your property tax. We rely on so many other revenue streams to operate uh, as a organization and the services we provide that uh, we, we really distance ourselves from a lot of the property tax conversation with the exception of reliability. Property tax are extremely reliable. So all these other revenue streams that have ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys, uh, we have to be able to adjust and have reserves and cushion and a lot of funds because they fluctuate so much. That makes our jobs very difficult. If you come from any other city in Kansas, they're relying a lot more on property tax to operate with the exception of Manhattan, probably Lawrence, and even the KC Metro. There's quite a few um, cities that don't rely as heavily on property tax. But if you're from anywhere else in the state, most municipalities are relying on their property tax base to really fund the majority of the services they provide. 
for a long time, we've been able to uh, keep those other revenue streams fairly healthy. Uh, but over the last five years, it's been a real struggle. And obviously 2020, just a, a different year altogether. So we'll, we'll try to give the commissioners a little bit of an update on how we did in 2020, what we expect for 21. And that really starts to set the stage for the 2022 budget that, that Ron described. So I guess, um, how did we do in 2020? The city took steps to respond to the budget shortfalls. Uh, were those steps effective? You mentioned um, sales tax revenue being down about 2%. Um, how, how did that leave us at the end of the year? Yeah, we had about a, a $600,000 shortfall overall in terms of uh, general fund. Now the general fund is roughly 31 million of the 160 million roughly that we have annually. So, but the general fund really oper is the operational fund for the majority of the, the services the city provides. Now you have a whole utility section, which is water, sewer, storm. When I say general fund, it's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, most of the departments here within the city hall um, park and rec, uh, public works as far as street goes and engineering, uh, community development, legal, HR, finance, uh, fire is also in, in that general fund. So when you look at that 31 million, you're talking about a bulk of the organization, but you're not talking about the entire thing. But from a general funds perspective and a sales tax perspective and all those operational funds, <clears throat> we were down um, six, six, seven hundred thousand dollars. And we had to come up with those cuts in order and savings in order to meet that. The flip side of this thing is there's federal money that was injected into our revenue streams. Uh, so we actually see a surplus in the general fund going into 2021 uh, of about six and a half million dollars. Uh, we anticipated about a three million dollar general fund cash balance. So we took 2.9 million in uh, from a CARES Act, the airport. Uh, received about 900,000 from that we have in the budget for 2020 in, in spark funds. So it's, um, is it the opposite, Ron? Are they CARES and spark yeah. the 2.9? CARES at the airport and the other one, the 2.9 was, was spark. Yeah. yeah. And I said, as soon as I said it, I figured it was the other way around. Um, so yeah, we've, we've had that injection, you know, it's one time money. It's not sustainable money. So what, what do we do with that? That's a big part of our, conversation tonight as we prepare uh, in the coming months for the 22 budget. See, and that's kind of what I was going to ask you. What is What does the term surplus mean for a city budget for the general fund? So Jason's point about um, we ended up with a surplus and, and one of the things that um, uh, we didn't uh, get a ruling on on the spark money was we were able to uh, uh, essentially fund our entire fire department. Uh, out of CARES funds, out of the SPARC funds, which uh, was a, a determination that was made uh, late fall of last year. Uh, so we still have about a, over a million dollars worth of CARES eligible reimbursements, but it was just easier to go ahead and do that. Um, had we not been in that situation, uh, we would have certainly paid for all of those expenses and would not have been as favorable in our in our bottom line. So uh, this is an unanticipated cash carryover uh, of additional dollars. And it was uh, due to a lot of savings uh, that departments made throughout the year, in addition to uh, uh, other measures we took to avoid uh, expenditures. And 
uh, it puts us in a good position. But as Jason said, it's really just one-time money. So you can't, you can't count on those surpluses. So you don't, you know, using that to fund operational continuing expenses uh, is something that uh, we need to be uh, cognizant of, of not trying to do because you're just delaying your budgetary issue uh, another year in, in that case. But it, it's definitely better than the alternative uh, of, of being yeah. not having that situation. So we're, we're in a little better shape than we could have been, maybe a lot better shape, but we still need to pivot and plan for what the future is going to look like. And I'm, I'm going to ask you kind of a buzzword question because I hear, I hear people refer to it this way and maybe you can provide some clarity about, you know, why doesn't the city have a balanced budget? And that's, I think that's going to need a little bit of interpretation. Can you, can you speak to that? Or what would you like to say in response to why does the city not have a balanced budget? So we do have a balanced budget and, and we're required by law to have a balanced budget uh, where revenues equal expenditure. And that's, that's my primary responsibility is to make sure that that, that happens. And so, uh, you know, unlike the federal government, we can't print money. Uh, now, some folks I think uh, uh, look at our debt service, but uh, we manage our debt service and we have to ensure that, uh, you know, our debt service coverage is there uh, from that standpoint. So we are, we are required to have a balanced budget and, and, and we do. And, and typically we try to underspend our budget annually so that we are, have a cash carryover uh, and, are, and are in a better position, especially when we have such volatile revenue sources and, and our revenue sources uh, in the general fund have been relatively flat uh, over the years. So, you know, planning for a, a budget carryover uh, is very important. Why do you think that term has, has caught hold so much? Because you hear it, like I hear it bounced around here and there, like, oh, you need a balanced budget. Is it, do you think it is just in terms of debt service or what's, where well, does that come Clearly, from? I think it stems from the federal government. So you hear about the, the federal government's deficit just continues to climb and the impact that that potentially has on future generations. All state and local governments are required to have a balanced budget. So you don't see uh, that, that deficit aspect uh, occurring at the, at the local uh, or state level. And I think that's, you know, the, certainly the federal deficit continues to grow and that gets a lot of, a lot of uh, discussion and, and highlighting as that uh, deficit does continue to grow. I think some of the frustration too, Viv, if I may, um, some of the frustration that we've heard over the years is, you know, live within your means and the growth of the community. So if the community grows by property tax or grows by sales tax, then, you know, you allow the organization to grow. Um, the difficulty with doing that is looking at what the organization needs to do uh, over a year, three years, five years, or seven. We we make substantial investments in the infrastructure that we obviously uh, provide and maintain for the organization and the community. So when we start to talk about replacing these things and getting them into a, a maintenance type of rotation, um, a lot of times you, you can't sit there and wait for growth to occur in order to maintain something you already have. And it, it's difficult to project just exactly when that maintenance is going to be needed. And we go out for a lot of sales tax questions in this community because we're so heavily reliant upon it. 
to take on major initiatives because there's just such a, an intolerance for property tax increases. So we're constantly looking for ways to generate revenue in order to not only accomplish the, the desired outcomes, but plan in things for routine maintenance, for replacement costs. Um, every time we take a step forward in terms of extending infrastructure or revitalizing that, that roadway, it starts to deteriorate right away. And you've got to have a replacement and a recondition type of plan. Cities can get themselves in, in some trouble and, and no different than a university. We've, we've heard about the deferred maintenance issues that occur in, in, in communities and in institutions like a university. You have to have some sort of systematic way to address these things or the backlog will get unmanageable. And to the point where, you know, do, do we even stay in that building or do we even keep that equipment or do we, we alter our service? Because if you don't have the replacement, you don't have the vision for, for that in the next five, seven years, it can sneak up on you. We have a number of initiatives we like to address from a five-year perspective. We know we're not going to be able to just walk in there and say next year we need to spend millions of dollars on all these things. But for the next five years, Investing in our people, investing in our infrastructure, our tools, our equipment, our facilities. We have to have a longer term vision to get that conversation rolling. If you just walk in one year and go, we need to replace this entire list where you've had a very low or steady investment, people are going to you know, react like, well, that's too much at once. Okay, well, we need a longer term strategy then to address these things. Well, and even if you did get approval, we have this whole list of things. The planning and the process to get that done takes years, doesn't it? I would, like, I want to um, pull up like Juliet as an example. The infrastructure underneath that road, the uh, sanitary sewer, storm sewer, and did they, they replace water lines under there too? Some of that infrastructure was late 1800s, wasn't it? The storm sewer down there? It yeah. was. Well, there wasn't a really some of the some of the water lines most of the storm sewer system has just been over the over the road gravity there isn't a lot of surface yeah. subsurface drainage in our older part of town but your your point is one where we've tried to really take a comprehensive look at, at some of our infrastructure projects so uh, you know the the bricks are a good example which was a grant program but the grant didn't cover the underground stuff and so while we're tearing the street up you know, we need to replace that old infrastructure because we don't want to come back in a couple of years and tear it up, tear new stuff up to replace that, that aging infrastructure. So we're trying to look comprehensively at the infrastructure uh, uh, at the surface or below the surface. And, uh, you know, one example that, you know, Jason mentioned about some of our, how our revenues have been pretty flat and, and you know, if we could just gauge on, on the growth of our community. So by that, if, you know, if we issued uh, uh, 70 building permits on new homes or new businesses. Those are, those are property taxes we've never collected before. And so in order to capture that, you have to, you have, to have some growth uh, in, in that levy. So uh, that gets to be a complicated component. But I would just give you an example of a, a declining revenue structure that we've had. So franchise fees is an area where we've seen a trend in declining. And so the easiest way to, to convey that is a lot of folks have given up their landline through their, their, their phone company and gone totally with the cellular. With, but with the landline, you have buried cable or above ground cable. 
that uses our right-of-way. And so we get a franchise fee for that because of the use of our right-of-way and the impacts it has on our right-of-way. But there is no similar mechanism for cellular phones. So they can come in and put in towers and, and poles in our right-of-way, but we have no similar franchise agreement for that. So that just shows you, uh, and I'm sure a lot of folks have probably given up their landline uh, in favor of that. And don't blame them a bit because it's more cost-effective. So but that's a revenue stream that's declining and, and not gonna be sustainable uh, for us in the long run. So we have to look at either cutting something uh, or replacing it with something else. A lot of moving pieces to all of this. And I know you guys each get a lot of questions about the budget. It's kind of before we wrap things up is we're, we're kind of aiming for like 30 minute segments each week for this. So we've got a few minutes left, but so what are some of the, like the most common questions you get um, about the budget? Probably more along the lines of, you know, where do my tax dollars go? You know, how are they spent? Um, when, when you look at all the different types of services that the city provides, it can get rather confusing. Um, all the different ways people uh, pay for services um, and, and just the common, as I talked, touched on, the common misperception that all the property taxes go to the city. Um, you know, that, that's a, usually a very clear um, di discussion point with a lot of people because they're under that impression. They would never, I've rarely had anybody if ever say, oh, I know 90% of my property taxes go somewhere other than the city. Uh, there's usually just an impression that they are coming. Um, so I, I, about revenues and about expenditure, just kind of how do things work? $160 million, um, you know, and, and really the balanced side of this thing is what, what also gets very confusing because if revenue streams, say in the EcoDevo fund or the bond and interest fund or a sales tax fund grow, you have to show corresponding expenditures. So you, you, you show it on the revenue side, but you also have to show it on the expenditure side. And it'll, it'll sit there and increase your, your budget, even though those revenues are dedicated to something in the future and you will spend them eventually, your annual budget still has to reflect them. It, it can be very, it, well, it is very complex. I mean, our budget is no small document. It is a lot of pages with a lot of different reference points by way of um, how we operate. And we have commissioners who have been on for years that it's still very, very complex and it's tough to digest. So we try to take all of it and get it down to a digestible format. That generates a ton of questions just for myself. And I think uh, the other part would be just uh, uh, organizations uh, and entities in the community that uh, uh, rely on some city funds to help uh, make ends meet, social service agencies, uh, special alcohol agencies, transient guest tax, so the hotel bed tax that, that comes in and how those get dis redistributed to different folks. Uh, uh, those are areas that have taken a big hit during COVID, the hospitality industry, and it's one we continue to uh, forecast that the, that the revenues are going to be uh, much smaller, our city university funds. Uh, you know, there hasn't been big events at the university, not a lot of in-person stuff and normal spending. So there's a lot of different areas uh, that we're watching closely uh, that we're hopeful that uh, there'll be some additional uh, 
federal funds that'll come through to help fund some some of those shortfalls, but we can't we can't count on it. And so we have to take some alternative measures and we're we're gearing back up to uh, uh, replace some of those positions that uh, were vacated last year and and uh, trying to work on plans to make sure that that, that that's effective. All right, thank you so much. And I wanna thank you um, for taking the time to, to walk through this with us. This is certainly not the only time we're gonna be talking about the budget with the public this year. We'll have lots of opportunities to try and provide some clarity about the process and let you know what's going on and what, um, what the future looks like for the city of Manhattan. So please feel free to ask your questions. Um, I'll do my best to get back to you in the comments. And if you'd like to learn more about the city budget, there is information online, uh, cityofmhk.com. There's a finance section. Um, we need some updating there too. But again, I've, I've been out so much and I'm still, still trying to get caught up with updates, but there is some information there. And also we will be discussing the 2020 revenue at tomorrow's city commission meeting that starts at 5.30, Tuesday, February 23rd. Um, you can watch on online on the cityofmhk.com website, here on the city's Facebook page, and you can also tune in on cable channel three. So lots of ways to, to tune in. It's not always exciting to hear about the budget, but you know there's lots of information there for anybody who wants to learn more. And we will be back again next week to give you some more information about uh, what's going on in the city of Manhattan. So thank you for joining us. Thank you both for your time. And we hope you have a good day. Thank you.